Everybody out there in podcast land, you have set your dials to Combat Sports with Rhino, episode 21. We are so happy to have you guys with us today. Uh, we're going to be talking about UFC 249 Jacksonville this Saturday. We actually have actual fight picks, if you can believe it. There's an actual show happening. I'm going to stop saying actual now because actually that was actually a lot. So we're going to run into our picks for those fights. We've got Drea's drop of the night. We got your call-in questions. Your Twitter questions are, are hot and ready this week. We got the return of Rhino's highs and lows back by popular demand. And last but definitely not least, an in-depth interview with MMA pioneer Elvis, the king of rock and rumble, Cinesec. So let's get started right away with our picks for UFC 249. I'm so stoked to be doing this. I just want to do this first because it makes it more real that it's actually going to happen. So um, I'm going to go ahead and start at the bottom of the order to work my way to the top. Uh, I've got Span over Sam, smiling Sam Alvey by unanimous decision. I got the uh, I got Bryce Mitchell, who's going to defeat Charles Rosa by second round submission. I got Nico the Hybrid Price defeating Vincente Luque. And I know this one's a little bit controversial. I know some people might think, whoa, 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 Rhino, I don't know about that. But I'm sticking with my boy Nico going uh, beating Vincente Luque by third round TKO. I've got the old war horse Jacare defeating my man Uriah Hall by a third round submission. Love Uriah Hall. People know I do, but I just think Jacare is going to get him in the third. Uh, the beautiful, the talented, the amazing Michelle, the karate hottie Watterson, I believe, is going to defeat Carla Esparza by a razor close split decision. We got Anthony Showtime Pettis. Oh, this hurts my heart. I think Showtime gets it done against my boy Cowboy. I think Cowboy is almost time for him to ride off into the sunset. I think uh, Showtime gets it done by unanimous decision. I think Cowboy will be tough enough to hang on, but I think it's going to be a UD for a clear-cut UD for Showtime. Uh, then we got Calvin Cater against Jeremy Stevens. Calvin with a third-round TKO. We got my dude Francis Ngannou in the heavyweight division going against the tough kickboxer Jaracino Rosenstrick. And Francis is going to knock him out in the first. That's what I'm saying, dude. He's going to he's going to come out in with something that takes his soul. So first round KO for Francis. Ugh, we got Triple C and Dom Cruz. I've got Triple C winning this one by pretty clear unanimous decision. I don't. I'm no huge Cruz fan, but I like him, and I just can't stand Triple C. But yeah, I got to call it to my journalistic integrity to go with what I think's going to happen. So I've got Triple C winning this one by UD, and then finally in our. Uh, our main event of the evening, I got Justin Gaethje beating Tony by split decision. I know, let the let the wrath and let the pitchforks and the fire go up in the air, but I just think Gaethje is going to catch him, hurt him early, and then Tony being as tough as nails as he is, is going to kind of spend the rest of the time trying to fight back uphill. So, very close split decision. I've got Justin Gaethje and Tony going all five, but I got Justin Gaethje winning. Now, Drea. Your main card picks of the evening. Who do you got, my friend? Okay, so for the main card, um, I'll start at the bottom of the main. So Hardy versus DeCastro. Um, fuck Hardy, obviously. I'm going with DeCastro on that one. Forever. Uh, fuck Hardy. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so with that one, I am going to say first round KO uh, for Hardy. Or excuse me. Not Hardy for DeCastro. Yeah, yeah. And then uh Stevens versus Cater. Um kind of I went back and forth on that one, but I am going to say Cater by a unanimous decision. And then Nganu versus Rosenstrike, I'm gonna take Nganu uh first round KO. 
Cejudo versus Cruz. Oh God, I just because I like Cruz and I can't stand Cejudo, I'm just gonna go for. I'm hoping Cruz wins this. Um, I'm gonna. So that's, a, I'm gonna that's a that's a heart, not a head pick. I understand. That's that. a, that's definitely it. <laughs> I just, I, yeah, I sure. couldn't I couldn't do it. I'm gonna say split decision. Okay. Dominic Cruz. And then Tony versus Gaethje. Um, I'm kind of with you on that one. Uh, I think Gaethje is going to take it, but not by decision. I think he's going to catch Tony with, with a KO. I'm going to go round two KO Gaethje. And a bold prediction is that indeed. Now, as you were reading yours, Dre, I, I was remiss. I did not include my Hardy DeCastro pick, but I'm the same. I'm I going, noticed that. I, I think, noticed you I did think, not. I know. I, I had my thumb over it, I think. <laughs> I thought, wait a minute. Did something happen and they're not fighting? No, 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 I no, no. I got, Yeah, I wanted DeCastro to win, but I wanted it to be by decision because I want him to just pummel Hardy all three rounds and bust Through his face Through the whole up. fight. Yes, I wanted nonstop beating. Uh, that's what I'm hoping for. So, yeah, I've got DeCastro by uh, unanimous decision. So, um, yeah, those were our picks for UFC 249 in Jacksonville. Um, that was fucking great. I can't believe we just had picks. It's been so long. It's almost I like know. We, I forgot and to just, be a part of the show. Just to add, I know I only did uh, main card, but just for the hell of it, I want to throw Cowboy and Pettis in there. Another heart decision for me, I'm going to go with Cowboy for for that fight, I I really honestly I think Pettis can probably pull it off, but I love Cowboy. I will always support him, so I'm going Cowboy on that fight. Well, God bless you for that. So <laughs> <laughs> he needs it. He needs yeah, it at this true. point. That's so. true. We're at three in a row. He's having a rough go. So uh, right. all right, so let's let's slide right into our Twitter questions. I know our first one comes from uh, Najee Nasser at Najee Nasser, a new friend of the show. And what does he have for us this week, Andrea? He says. Combat Sports with Rhino, how are you? With the UFC coming out the gates with three events, who do you think will pull off the biggest upset? Please don't say Gaethje. Have a good one and enjoy the fights. Oh, uh, Najee, thanks so much for uh, for being a first-time question to ask you, my friend, but I'm sorry to tell you, it is in fact going to be Justin over Tony. That's the only like real big upset that I have because we're only, we're only covering the first show. We're not... We're not covering the next two shows. We'll do that next week. Um, but yeah, I think Justin beating uh, Tony by split decisions, what I have predicted, I think that's the biggest upset. I know Gage has been around forever. I know he's a wily veteran, but Tony's Tony, and Tony is phenomenal and has been phenomenal for so long. Um, I just think that's the only upset that I have picked for this one. So yeah, I'm sorry, buddy, but that's actually that actually is my answer. So thank you so much for writing in. Uh, question two comes from our dear friend is. Uh, we would like to call him brother, and he likes to call us brother, likes to call you sister. Our boy, Antonio Pineda, uh, his handle is the same. Uh, and what does he have for us this week, Drea? My brother, Rhino, what's your take for Cejudo versus Cruz? You think Cruz deserved this title shot? <coughs> and who do you got on that fight? I love Cruz, but I think Cejudo will win. Cruz hasn't fought for years, and Cejudo has great momentum. I hope this is a good question. Hey, brother, they're always good questions when they come from you, our dear friend, Antonio. Uh, brother, I've got Henry winning, and here, here's for here's some of the breakdown as to why. I think as elusive as Dominic Cruz is, Henry will be able to get a hold of him at a few points of the fight. When he does, I believe his wrestling is so superior and good, he'll be able to take Cruz down, and more importantly, keep him down for like extended periods of time. Cruz has good ground game, we know that, but 
I think Henry's is so far superior to his. I think he's going to be able to catch him and get him down and hold him down. I don't see Cruz getting knocked out because of his elusive footwork and because of his good head movement. Um, I think he, I've seen some video on him recently. He looks like he's in great shape, which literally means I think his knee looks good. I think he'll be able to stay away from the major shots. I just think Henry is going to be able to take him down and hold him down and get a little ground and pound on him. So, yeah, that's how I have Henry. As far as does Dom deserve it, who's to say anymore, right? You know what I mean? Like, it, it really, it really has come down to like who the UFC thinks the fan, the more fans are going to want to see more so than like, like, let's say that's the number four guy. He'll get the shot as opposed to the number one guy. It's just, that's just the way it is right now. So it's not for me to say whether it, it, he does or does not deserve it. So yeah, that's me on that one, my friend. So thank you so much, Antonio. Um, so our next Twitter question comes from my homie, Phil at the Phil at the split decision podcast. Correct. Drea. Correct. So coming from Phil, we have, hey, Rhino, what's next for Henry Cejudo if he breaks Cruz? Similarly, similarly, who do you think is next for Cruz if he beats Henry? Or will he retire on the spot as the GOAT bantamweight? So if if Henry wins, which is what I think is going to happen, who, what's next for him? I'm not sure. Um, I would Obviously, I would love to see Petri Jan and Aljo uh, fight to see who gets the next shot at 35. To me, that's the those that's the next best you know crop of guys. I want to see Petrion and Aljo fight for the you know for the chance to fight uh, Triple C for the championship. That's what I would like to see. Should he win? Should Dom win? Um, that would be the all time best scenario for the guy. Ride out into the sunset with the belt. You have had more injuries and had more time off in your career than and could come back than probably anybody else. There was a time where you and your main rival, Uriah Faber, were talking shit. And Uriah Faber said something that always kind of resonated and stuck with me. Was that your body, like, accusing Cruz. He was like, your body was not made for combat. And that kind of always stuck with me. Like, Cruz is so good, right? On, on his feet, particularly, his his movement, his quick punching, his in and out, his his overall techniques. And what an analytical mind for the sport that he has. This dude has everything he needs. The unfortunate thing is he's been so injury prone, those knees, the poor guy has had like the worst luck with injuries over his career. Why keep putting yourself through this? He's, he's, he's nearly 40 now. You know what I mean? Let's just, let's just ride off of the sunset with the title. Should he win? That's what I like to see him do for sure. So thank you, Phil, the MMA dude from the homies over there at the Split Decision Podcast. If you guys haven't listened to them before, definitely give them a check out. They are so, so funny and cool to listen to. So that is going to segue us into Drea's Drop of the Night. Drea, what does your Drop of the Night come from, and who is it featuring this week? Last night, MMA Twitter had another UFC watch party where we watched UFC 189. Watch uh, so party! <laughs> so thanks to Deja for organiz- organizing that for us again. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and pull my drop of the night from UFC 189. Um, the fight between Thomas Almeida and Brad Pickett was absolutely spectacular. Um, so my drop of the night is going to go to Thomas Almeida for that beautiful second round knockout by flying knee. Um, it was absolutely beautiful. I know Brad, uh, he, he attempted 
a knee on Almeida right at the beginning of the round, which wasn't successful. And Thomas just said, Oh, you want to throw that? I'm going <laughs> to, let me show you how it, how it should really be thrown. Um, knocks him out. He drops and yeah, it was, it was beautiful. So my drop of the night goes to Thomas Almeida, uh, UFC 189. No, that's a great one. Yeah, I was definitely part of the watch party last night too. And uh, yeah, shout out to Deja uh, for putting those on and what a fun time it's been for these Saturdays without fights to kind of have, you know, what we will be the different content, you know, maybe we've seen the fights, maybe we haven't, but mm-hmm. to kind of watch them together kind of gave us a sense of normalcy. So that was pretty, pretty cool. And yeah, what a drop of the night. And, you know, Thomas Almeida was one of those guys who really had some high hopes on him. Uh, then Cody Garbrandt beat him up pretty good. And, you know, Brad Pickett was beating his ass pretty good too until he took. Yeah, the that that first round I <laughs> was old Brad. I mean, <laughs> yeah, in my for opinion, sure. it was it was almost surprising Thomas made it out of the first round. He, you know, he got him with some good stuff, but yeah. Uh, and so again, Thomas Almeida is one of those guys who I think might have a second chapter in the UFC down the road a little bit. He's a very young guy. Yeah. Um, I think we'll see him back at some point. Very talented. So yeah, what yeah. a flying knee. What a KO. What a fucking drop of the night. So fantastic stuff as always, Drea. We really appreciate you coming on and uh, making your picks as well. So we will all look forward to seeing how we do and who gets the bragging rights for the better picks next week. And, um, yes. <laughs> You're going down right now. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. All right. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week. All right. See you next week. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. All right, as we know, when it comes time for Drea's drop of the night to be over, it comes time for the calling questions to begin. So I know my first question comes from my homie Ryan, mixed a man from up in Minnesota. What does Ryan have for us today? My amazing engineer, D. Reigns. Rhino, it's your buddy mixed a man here. Want to get your thoughts on a topic that just won't die, and it's that motherfucking goat conversation. Look, man, if we get a time machine and we go back in time and we pick up Babe Ruth, we scoop up his ass and we bring him to 2020, he's not going to hit a fastball off a high schooler, okay? So is he the GOAT? Is he the greatest of all time if he can't hit a fucking 12th grade fastball by today's standards? No, it's because GOAT doesn't fucking exist. He's a special player. He was the greatest player of his time. Not being able to hit a 12th grader's fastball doesn't take away from what he accomplished. It just proves the narrative that this goat thing is the stupidest conversation yet in mma it's a conversation that we just play over and over and over again and how do you even quantify it is it title defenses is it just dudes that we really like that look good getting off the bus stupidest conversation in mma get at me Ah, the old goat convo, right? <laughs> and so, um, for many of you know, I used to have another show I did before uh, CSWR, and I made a declaration on that show maybe a year ago or something. I am no longer going to participate in, like, overall goat conversations. It's just there's too many variables. It's too hard to do. Um, I will, however, openly talk about and share who I think the goats are for their respective divisions at this moment in time. Right. That is to say that they can absolutely be dethroned in the future by somebody else. Right. So real quickly from the uh, from the men's side, 125, Mighty Mouse Johnson, 135, Dom Cruz, 145, Jose Aldo, 155, Khabib Nurmagomedov. Ooh, I said it right for once. <laughs> 170, GSP, 185, Anderson Silva, 205, John Jones. 
heavyweight Fedor, the last emperor, Emelianenko, right? These are my goats for their respective divisions right now. For the ladies, 155 right now, it's still JJ, but I think Wiley Zhang is going to surpass her for sure. 125, no question about it. Bullet Shevchenko, 35 and 45, same person, Amanda, the lioness, Nunez, dude, all day, every day, twice on Sunday. So, yes, that's my assessment of what the GOAT conversation should be. Should be per division, not per the whole sport. That's where I stand on it. Ryan, I love your passion. I love your energy. Thank you so much for that one, my friend. I know our second question comes from the big homie Jim Assoon from over in Canada. And, and D-Rays, what does Jim Assoon have for us today? What's going on, you bunch of fucking casuals? Okay, my question for you this week, Rano, is... Do you think it's next for Woodley? Um, I know they're saying Gilbert Burns is possible, but... I'd love to see Colby step in there and fight Woodley. That'd be a much better fight than Burns, in my opinion. So, that's my question for you. If it's not Burns, who would you like it to be? So, I hope this makes it in time. And as always, you guys keep up the great work, because we love it. All these are doing an amazing job. We love the content. Can't wait for the interview. And it is always 420. Peace. Dude, I am totally with you, Jim, uh, on this one. If Tyron doesn't fight Burns, which is what we're all kind of hearing is probably going to happen, then Colby is absolutely who I want to see fight Tyron. Literally, we're at years now of them going back and forth with the shit talking and without having, having ever fought. You know, Colby basically just opened up the window with his last interview that I saw where he was saying that he really only wants to fight Kamaru, but the only other fight that he would consider is Tyron. Um I also think it would be an exciting fight, not just the the backstory and the bad blood, but these are two very good fighters when it boils down to it, right? I think Colby would force Tyron to fight, and that's what I think he's at his best is when he's being pushed. So we can see him being far more aggressive, which is the best kind of Tyron there is to watch. So, yeah, I'd be all for that. That's exactly the fight that I would like to see is Colby versus Tyron, also my man. So you are right, my friend. It's always 420. Now, moving on to our third question, we got the big homie, Dave Fretz, at Dave Fretz, and at Solo Shoes. And as I always say, when I talk about my homie, the Einstein of graphic design, check out his work. Not only the amazing graphic designs he does for, like, posters, but look at the shoes he does on Solo Shoes. Look what he did for Mark the Hammer Coleman. Look what he did for Joe Gennetti. Uh, the guy is un-fucking-believably talented. And my dear friend, what does Dave Fretz have for us today, D. Reigns? Hey, what's going on, Rhino? This is Dave Fretz, at Dave Fretz and at Solo Shoes on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Judo will not be joining me today because it's 3.15 a.m. I have terrible gout, can't sleep, so I thought I'd send in a question. Not to be a downer man, but uh, I'm curious to know what is the most crushed or upset you've been by a fight outcome ever? Uh, boxing, MMA. Actually, let's do one for boxing and one for MMA. What uh, What's the most upset you've been uh, after uh, a fight, whether it's who won, the manner it was won, judging, whatever it is. Let's hear it, man. Chat soon. Peace. 
Oh man, you had to you had to make me go into my feels on this one, Dave Fritz. I got you, buddy. I see what you're all about. <laughs> um, I know for me, probably the most devastating, at least as an adult in boxing, <clears throat> the most devastating loss for me was Canelo losing to Floyd Mayweather. I thought for once that we had a guy who was big enough, strong enough, talented enough, skilled enough to give Mayweather a real chance of losing. Uh, those of us who follow boxing closely know that for the entirety of his, at least the second half of his career, Floyd always picked his opponent to be somebody that was either on the decline or still too green, right? So that so that Floyd definitely had the advantage one way or another. This was like one of the first times where I thought, you know, this kid right, might really be enough to get it done against Floyd. And when Floyd dominated the fight, you know, I think it's not too overreaching of a word to use. I was really distraught, man. I can't stand Floyd Mayweather. Never could. Loved loved his uncle Roger. You know what I mean? I loved his uncle Jeff. Great trainer. The Mayweathers are from Michigan. I've got I've got nothing but love for the majority of them. Just never could stand Floyd, particularly with the the flaunting of the wealth and the uh, arrogance. So I was really hoping that Canelo would get it done, but he didn't. So that was that one. And then MMA, I knew right away. It was Rashad KOing Chuck. <laughs> Chuck Liddell was my first, like, I was the first guy I was a super fan of. I loved everything about him. And Chuck was just, he was my guy. He still is. He's probably my favorite all-time fighter. And Rashad, not only did Rashad beat him, Rashad fucking separated him from the universe with that right hand, dude. I've never seen Chuck get knocked out that bad. That was just it hurt the old rhino's heart big time, bro. So yeah, for sure. For me, Canelo losing to Floyd, uh, Mayweather Jr. in the in boxing, and then Rashad's KO over over Chuck for me, dude. So yes, that's all we're gonna do for the voice calling questions for this week. Um, so back by popular demand, we're gonna do the real, we're gonna do uh the highest and lows with Rhino again. I didn't know that this segment was gonna get the kind of feedback that it did, but <clears throat> yeah, basically, for those who didn't hear it the other time I've done, highs and lows is just one high highlight from my career and a low light. And we're going to go ahead and start with a low light, um, you know, that we can end on the high. A low light was, um, so several years ago, I was, I was scheduled to fight a guy, and he somehow, because we knew a lot of the same people, somehow got my phone number. And he proceeded to blow me up for a while, like just leaving terrible messages, talking all kinds of shit about how he was going to fuck me up and just all this stuff, dude. <laughs> and so finally I'd had it and I blocked the number and I was like, dude, this is pointless to keep arguing with him about it. So come fight night, you know, um, I'm there early. I'm dressed. I'm ready to rock and roll. I got my hands taped. I saw the doctors early. Like I was just so fired up. Well, it's getting closer and closer to fight time. And guess who's not there, right? Him. And then we get a call or the promoter gets a call like an hour before showtime saying he's not coming. He had car trouble or truck trouble on the way from the west side of the state to the east side of the state. And he wasn't coming. And he really didn't give a shit. He wasn't apologetic or nothing. So I was fucking devastated. My heart hurt. My head hurt. Everything hurt. I was so pissed off. I'm like, we got to run it back. Please, we got to run it back. So thankfully enough, we get on the schedule a couple months later. He actually shows up this time. I am more fired up than ever. He didn't. I kept him blocked. So I didn't have to hear. <laughs> I didn't have to hear too much shit talk on the way to this fight. But we get in there and, and I'm, I'm chasing him all over. I'm cutting him off. I'm tagging him. He's he's basically running away like a little scaredy cat. 
And then I crack him with a few things. And then he falls down. Uh, and I, what I think was he faked, he faked a cramp, essentially. So he's screaming on the ground, rolling around, holding his leg. <clears throat> so when a guy does that, that's a, that's that's supposed to be a TKO for the other, you know, for the other guy. And so he, you know, he went down with this fake leg cramp, I think, to kind of get out of the beating he deserved. And so again, I was completely unsatisfied, right? I'm like, I'm not happy with this at all. So these are lows, right? Even if it's a, even if it's a win, it's a low. So then again, about a year later, thank God and thank God and thank the boxing gods. I got a third crack at this motherfucker. <laughs> and this time there was not going to be any more bullshit. I wasn't going to fucking box him. I was coming straight forward to beat his ass. And that, my friends, is what I was able to do. I, I blitzkrieged across the case, across the cross case, across the ring, got him lined up into the corner, and I smashed him with a left shovel, kind of a half, you know, a hybrid between a left hook and a left uppercut. I got him with a shovel, clean on the chin. He goes to sleep. It was like, Oh, finally, <laughs> you know, like a, a whole year saga. It was finally over and I got the clean KO on him. So that was definitely a highlight for the old Rhino. And yes, he's still, we still have some mutual friends and he'll still talk shit a little bit when my name is brought up apparently, but I don't care because you were the one on your back asleep and I was the one with my hands raised. So that's a great high. And the previous low, that was highs and lows with Rhino. So now, ladies and gentlemen, we are going into our uh, 10 Rounds with Rhino segment where I had MMA pioneer, the Elvis, the king of rock and roll, Sinisek. I, I mean, the guy puts out a great interview. It was really fun. It was in-depth. Got a lot of fucking backstage, behind-the-scenes knowledge. Very, very cool. We also talked about Margot Robbie, which can't go wrong there. So, yes, everybody check it out. 10 Rounds with Rhino with Elvis, the king of rock and roll, Sinisek. Hello, everybody out there in podcast land. You are here with Combat Sports with Rhino. My special guest today, the man who is going 10 rounds with Rhino, the the veteran of the UFC, the king of rock and rumble, straight out of Australia, Elvis Sinisek. Thank you for joining us today, sir. Uh, it's good to be the king. Uh, thanks, Todd. Great to be on here. Um, hello to everyone out there listening. Oh, dude, this is so fun. This is so cool. I love this part of the show. Uh, Elvis, round one of uh, 10 Rounds with Rhino is what I love to is what I love to get the background story, kind of the origin story. Um, you know, how did you first get into mixed martial arts, sir? Well, um, obviously, I'm one of the uh, pioneers. I've been around for quite a while. So um, it all kind of started back in the day. I was a, a fan of uh, Bruce Lee. I was uh, into the martial arts. Uh, wait, over, overhead plane. All right. Thank you very much for that interruption. Uh, so I was very much into uh, Bruce Lee and the martial arts. Um, so I started that, that journey, discovered him, you know, on TV with the, the movies and um, then into the martial arts magazines. I started judo at a young age. It was kind of my parents used it as a martial art and a babysitting uh, opportunity. I get the kids out a couple of nights a week doing judo. Um, I ended up then discovering uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu through John Will, who traveled over. He was um, he had set up and was. Uh, running the Blitz Martial Arts magazine here in Australia, and he was using that to travel around the world. He'd been to, like, um, uh, Southeast Asia, done Salat, 
uh, traveled to India, wrestled in the pits of India, and ended up in Brazil where he discovered uh, the Gracies and the Machado brothers. He, he struck up a friendship with Hegan Machado, um, which kind of created the Machado lineage out here in Australia. Um, and obviously in that journey, he was um, diarising what was happening on his journey and all the different – and when I kind of discovered, you know, the way he talked about this 15-year-old that – kind of mounted him, arm-wrapped him and started slapping him. It was like he just felt helpless and that kind of started his journey and it got <clears throat> me interested in this this strange art of Brazilian jiu-jitsu and then I ended up, uh, you know, graduating from university, going to work, met this guy who was uh, – while I was at uni, I kind of stopped my martial arts training to focus on study. And, you know, this kid I'd gone to high school with and he's like, oh, look, you should get back into the martial arts. So I'm like, yeah, well, that, that sounds like a great idea. So I wanted to find something that kind of had a jiu-jitsu element. I found a, a, um, a Jun fan school, uh, the Bruce Lee style that incorporated, you know, Muay Thai stick fighting Um and grappling, you know, the Dan Inosanto kind of uh, style of training, they got, got got me interested and, I, you know, I enjoyed the stick fighting but really took to the grappling because I had that judo background. I'd also done taking sure. over a few years in the past. Ended up moving up to Sydney and then while up here in Sydney, um, the Blitz magazine came out with um, Do You Want to Be a Cage Fighter? And it was uh, this guy who was basically – coasting off the back of the UFC name. He called it the Australasian UFC. You know, do you want to step into a cage? Do you want to be famous? So he had all these people uh, enter. I kind of applied, but he was like, look, we're looking for big names. Um, so they were, you know, obviously trying to get kickboxers and wrestlers and boxers. And, they, you know, back in the day, this was 1997. So it was only a couple of years after the UFC um, in the U.S. and it was still very raw. It was still style versus style. So they were looking for big names and I was like, I just wanted to do it to test myself to, to see whether um, I had the courage to face adversity when it was basically put in front of me. I wanted to know whether what I'd been learning was effective or not, or would I crumble um, like a, you know, apple pie or, or what I just, and it kind of, I took it back for it. And then as the event got closer, the name, Fighters started dropping out one by one, and he about two weeks before he's uh, the promoter's gone. Hey, we need someone. You happy? You want to step in? And I'm like, what are you waiting for? Just let's do it. And that's a pretty much um, long-winded version of how I got into uh, MMA. <laughs> no, that was amazing. You know, what's fun for me too is that the, that's a part of MMA. That's a uh, point in history where. You know, pre-UFC becoming a Zufa product, that there's these stories of MMA kind of in the beginnings of it that are just so un, untapped and untalked about. So, no, I could listen to that all day. So, that was very cool, well, Elvis. Um, so, well, so very interesting question. point. Oh, I, go ahead. I was just going to say, just uh, before we go to the next question, interesting point is um, because there was so much controversy back in the day, the event was actually – um, they had to make modifications in the lead up because the the government wanted to shut it down, the, the commissions, and they're like, you can't hold this, and the promoter. So what he did, he, he couldn't 
you couldn't mention in any of your styles that you did boxing, kickboxing, or wrestling. So he made all the fighters represent a traditional martial art. So even if they were a kickboxer or had done kickboxing, they had to say karate, or they had oh, to say okay. wrestling, they had to say judo or jiu-jitsu, and they literally had police out the front waiting for the opportunity to, to shut down the event. So it was pretty crazy times back then. You know, the, the event did go ahead at about, I mean, for that day was like about 5,000 people in the venue. Um, it was pretty crazy. And, um, yeah, it, it's kind of special and it's pretty awesome to have been part of, you know, the the sport that we built today. Yeah, that's a great – actually, I'm glad you finished with that second part because that's actually a great segue into our next question. So, Elvis, your region of the world is killing it right now in the UFC. Uh, Volk and Izzy are champs. Robert Whitaker, who I love to call Bobby Knuckles, former champ. There's tons of guys on the come up, not only from Australia but from New Zealand. But without you, Anthony Paroche and Mark Hunt laying the foundation for Australian MMA – um, it's definitely, in my opinion, it's definitely not where it's at right now. Do you feel like you are a part of that? Do you feel you have that, you're in that core group of guys that for your region of the world really laid the foundation for the success that the guys are able to have now? Oh, absolutely. Look, um, even some of those names were still behind where I was when it came to, to MMA. I think the really, the core guys was obviously myself, um, um, there's also Larry Papadopoulos, who was fighting in Pancras, and Chris Hazeman, who was uh, from Rings. Um, <clears throat> and he did take a bit of a dip into the UFC, though, unsuccessfully. Um, they're pretty much the real <clears throat> core of the pioneers that started that uh, MMA movement, you know, uh, Rings, Pancras, and UFC between us. Um, I ended up actually fighting in Pancras, Rings, and UFC all three of those organizations as well. Um, but, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. Like, back then, we really didn't know what we were doing. Um, Cross-training was something we, we pretty much had to develop because we all came from individual styles. Um, and then we kind of re- – uh, thankfully, I had John Will, who had also realized early on. It's funny. John Will started as a shoot-fighting style – where he taught kind of like Muay Thai, hybrid wrestling, and um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for grappling. He, he created this shoot system and then ended up going more, well, pretty much focusing entirely on Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and ended up building the, the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu circuit that is here in Australia today. Um, he kind of moved away from that mixed kind of training, but he'd already seen back in the day that, um, you really needed to cross-train to be complete. And uh, thankfully, I had that um, from him and my coach, Anthony Lange, who'd also had a, uh, a stint in Shudo. So it was quite an interesting time. It's like you had people who were saying, my style is better than yours. And then you had people going, well, okay, I think this is an absolutely amazing style, but what would really go well with it? What can we use to complement it? And that's where we started dabbling in different styles. I did capoeira, I did Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I did judo, I did wrestling, um, I did kaishin, I did karate, I did taekwondo, um, kali. I was dipping my hands and feet into different martial arts, trying to put it together to to come up with a a fantastic combination that works successfully. We're looking at different styles of 
training, circuit training, um, weight training, power training, sprint training, endurance training, trying to work out, you know, what gave us the best physical uh, attributes that we could apply directly to our um, fighting style. Um, yeah, it really was a tumultuous era. And then on top of that, we had, um, I know it was very uh, strong in the U.S. We had the mainstream media kind of trying to make us look barbaric and trying to, I don't think they were trying to shut us down, but I think they were trying to sensationalize everything to, to sell papers. And then um, you had the commissions trying to shut down the events. Um, yeah, and it just uh, absolutely fantastic, crazy time. To, to be involved in the sport. So, yeah, I like, I, I do think, you know, um, I'm a pioneer of the sport. I was the first, uh, fought in the first ever uh, MMA events here in Australia, competed in the first ever Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu IBJJF tournament, um, represented Australia in the first ever ADCC event uh, internationally. Uh, actually, interesting point, landed the first ever heel hook in ADCC uh, competition. So I started this uh, leg lock um kind of favoritism that's going on at the moment. Sure, uh, sure. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's kind of fun. It's, it's definitely great to look back um, in hindsight and just see everything that we went to to get to, to where we are today. So the, the fighters such as Volko and Whitaker and, you know, all the other guys, we've got numerous amounts, um, Jesse Jess, male fighters, female fighters, um, from Australia, New Zealand, really, you know, Izzy doing wonderful things, um, Dan Hooker, so many great fighters coming out uh, from our parts of the world, which is even more impressive considering how isolated uh, we are from the rest of the world. I mean, back when we started, the internet really was just barely existed. There was no videos. It was pretty much all email and message boards, whereas today right. everything can be shared online um, in an instant. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. And you know, it's funny that you talked, you brought about the uh, your, your submit, your early submission training in the ADCC. So that perfectly again leads us into uh, my next question. <laughs> so you you are somebody who, I mean, you've been matched as tough as resume to resume as anybody. I mean, you fought five UFC former or future champions. However, the 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 victory that you had that's my favorite in your career is for people who are not familiar with. Look up Jeremy Horn. And you see what a what a submission like wonderkind the guy was. He has like hundreds of pro MMA fights. He was the was kind of the submission ground guy to teach Matt Hughes how to do things, jujitsu and whatnot. And and Elvis was able to submit him in their fight. Is that one of those kind of career defining fights where you were able to submit this guy who oh. had this almost legendary reputation on the ground? Look, it was probably my career-defining fight. Um, you know, I'd, I'd fought in rings before that. I fought in the Australasian UFC, and and they were obviously very important to to where I am today. I, you know, I got the opportunity to discover MMA. I got to go to Japan and and, and fight in rings, which uh, led to me. Well, one the the fight that goes with the Jeremy Horn fight is my decision, even though it was a loss. Um, I went the distance with Frank Shamrock, who at the time was, you know, five times UFC champion. He was considered the first truly uh, mixed martial arts fighter 
he was athletic, he was a grappler, he was a striker, he was a wrestler, he could do it all. So those two fights pretty much go hand in hand. And and the reason being, <clears throat> obviously, as you mentioned, Jeremy Horn, legend of the sport, he went the distance with Minotauro, which I don't think a lot of people realise. He submitted Chuck Liddell. I know right. Chuck came back and, and redeemed that loss, but you know, he, he submitted Chuck back in the day when a lot of people thought he was unstoppable. Um, he fought Anderson Silva. Uh, I believe he tore his groin in that fight and still went the distance with him. Um, and he was one of the most formidable opponents out there. Um, he was well-rounded. He had tenacity um, in bagfuls and, and super skilled. And what's really interesting is um, Frank Shamrock had fought him for about – 10, 10 or 11 minutes before submitting him with the knee bar. And then after that fight, I ended up fighting Frank uh, in K1 in an MMA match in Japan. And after that match, uh, Frank has you know, come up after me it's got, uh, and gone. He said, look, um, if you want to get into the UFC, that's a fantastic. You can really use this fight to springboard. He goes, but the one fighter you don't want to fight is Jeremy Horn. He goes... If you lose to him, nobody will remember you. And if you beat him, you won't get the respect you deserve. He is one of the most talented fighters out there. Um, and because he's known as Gumby and, and because he hasn't had a big run in the UFC, nobody really respects just how talented he is. And he actually warned me away from, from taking that fight. Um, but, of course, you know, um, I ended up um, – you know, I'd fought Dave Beneteau in UCC earlier. Then I ended up fighting Frank Shamrock. And then coming into January of, uh, I think it was 2001, because uh, Frank was the 2000 GP in December, uh, January 2001, I got a call from Joe Silva. He's like, look, Cafe Dante's pulled out. He's got a, a massive hole in his leg due to a staph infection. He was supposed to fight Jeremy for the number one contender spot against uh, to face Tito. We've lost our uh, opponent. Nobody wants to take Jeremy on short notice. Will you do it? I've just gone, yeah, absolutely. No problem at all. <laughs> yeah. right. um, I, I look, I think sometimes my um, courage probably overwhelmed my intellect. Like I like to think of myself as an intelligent fighter, but I always enjoyed the challenge more than worrying about what my record would be. I guess if I'd Focused on my record a little bit more. I might have had a, a slightly longer and better career, but for me it was all about the challenge and facing the best. And I thought, well, Jeremy's the best um, unrecognized, unrecognized um, he's just not a underappreciated, most, yeah. Underappreciated talent out there. And I go, if I can take face him and succeed, then I know I have what it takes to keep going further. Um, and again, this is another interesting story is back then, like I said, the internet was very non-existent. It was pretty much mailing lists. Um, and there was a magazine or a newspaper called Full Contact Fighter. Now, it only ever came out – well, sorry, back in the day, it only came out in paper format. So, you know, us in Australia were always about a month or, or two behind by the time it managed to make its way out to Australia. And so once I arrived in the U.S. for my fight, in the, my first fight in the UFC to face uh, Jeremy Horn, um, I've turned up to the, the hotel and 
Um, I'm hanging out, and there's this – someone hands me a copy of Full Contact Fighter. I'm like, oh, awesome, you know. I've always got to wait for it. Now I actually get to read a copy of it before the event, not after, because obviously they have the, all their predictions and they talk sure. about the fighters and, and things like that that they now do on websites, all the interviews, but they did it in the, in the paper. And I've, I've started flipping through it, and I, maybe it wasn't the best idea, maybe it was, but they obviously had, um, because we were the co-main event with Tito versus Tanner, they had all the, uh, they had a various fighters and coaches breaking down, um, you know, obviously Tito and Tanner, and then um, myself and Jeremy. Now, Tito and Tanner had a pretty split um, following, and though, you know, there was, you know, People going both ways, some saying Tanner would win, some saying Tito would win. But when it came to my prediction versus Jeremy Horn, every single person said Jeremy would win twice <laughs> in under three minutes. So maybe so that was a good thing, it, man. Maybe it lit a, maybe it lit a well, fire. Well, it was. I actually set myself to go. I said, I want to finish him in under three minutes by submission. And I did it in two minutes and 59 seconds, so I guess you couldn't cut it much closer than that. <laughs> um, but, you know, look, a ton of respect uh, for Jeremy. I like, I, I went in there um, not underestimating him at all. And I think that's part of why I was able to have such good success is I didn't overlook his striking skills. I didn't look overlook his grappling skills. I didn't underestimate anything about him but I had a very strategic um, game plan I had a very short time uh, to prepare I knew what my skills were my goal was to strike with him stay on the outside with my kicks um, because my boxing back then I knew wasn't very sharp and I knew if he entered into the boxing range even though I felt I could trade I, I didn't feel that was my strength so as soon as it hit boxing the goal was to clinch with him pull guard and then attack from guard and then that's ended up what happening um, I went for an armbar, he defended, I switched to a triangle. He saw that coming, he pushed his arm in, and I ended up getting um, the triangle armbar, or what we call the dead Elvis, where you kind of have two arms uh, in the triangle position, and uh, finished uh, the armbar at 2 minutes and 59 seconds from the triangle. And, uh, yeah, I mean, amazing. Like, I can't explain the elation I felt afterwards. That's where I came with the... Uh, the infamous Elvis finger point, which I use in um, all, all my photo shoots and uh, sure. TV. And so, yeah, it kind of came up. I was sitting there waiting for the results to be called. I'm just like, you can't believe the, the adrenaline, the energy going through me. And I'm standing there and the, the ref's holding my hand. I look down, there's this camera, you know, looking up at me. And I've just looked straight at the camera, kissed my finger and pointed down the lens and gone number one, and um, yeah, that's just it was just that that <laughs> I picked up one of the um, my famous call sign, which is which I've stuck with uh, ever since, and um, yeah, absolutely, yeah. As I said, one of the most career-defining, if not the most career-defining moment, because it pretty much springboarded my relationship with the UFC. Yeah, that's an that's an amazing backstory on, on a very cool moment. Uh, so, so Elvis, when it's time for you to relax, right? When it's time for the king to take off the crown, put his feet up and chill. What are some of the things you like to do? Are you a, a reading guy? Are you a video game guy? Are you a swimming in the pool kind of a guy? What are some of the things you like to do to relax? Well, obviously, I mean, it's, it's difficult because I, I really enjoy my martial arts. Running my gym 
is a big part of it. Um, King, you know, I've all, always wanted that full time, and I'd run a an academy with a with Anthony for many years. We had this yeah. uh, joint academy, but the goal had always been to build the premier um, academy in Australia, the first super gym that, like they had in the US. Um, and you know, again, I was able to pioneer that. I opened up the first ever. Um, mega MMA gym that had jiu-jitsu, wrestling, kickboxing, MMA, conditioning, cage, ring, mat space, bags, tie pads, everything that you need um, for that. So, you know, a big part of um, what I do, even when I relax, is that. Um, but when I'm not at the gym doing that sort of stuff, um, so probably a lot of gardening. You know, I love my house. Um Interesting. Yeah, no, no, um, I kind of picked it up from one of my exes many years ago who was a landscaper, so to kind of, you know, you get involved with what your partner does and I kind of got quite attached to it and decided to to kind of keep going. So I love working in my garden and fixing things up and trying to make the house, you know, house pride. Um, I have, I'm on the river, thankfully, Uh, the years of hard work have paid off and even though I have a kick-ass mortgage it goes with it um it is a beautiful view i'm actually sitting on my balcony it is raining at the moment but i'm overlooking the river watching it all um i like to jump in my kayak um because i i do have the problem of i'm not very good at at sitting still um so kayaking i find is is really quite relaxing i can get away from everything and I can float down the river, and then if I if my feet get too itchy, and then I just start paddling. So I'll paddle, float, paddle, float. So that is one of the ways I, I like to kind of um, relax. Um, I also really enjoy um, looking into health and nutrition. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts, obviously MMA. So every anytime I'm in the car, I don't listen to the radio or anything like that. I'm always um, putting up, you know, podcasts, listening to different podcasts and um, whether it's nutrition, sometimes it's marketing for my business, sometimes it's MMA because I want to know what's going on out there. Um, yeah, so I, it's kind of strange. My way of <laughs> relaxing is, is staying busy. Um, obviously, I have a lot of pets. I've got dogs, I've got birds, I've got cats, I've got fish. Um, and now I have um, the newest addition to my family, a young baby boy, Atlas Zane, um, who's taking up a lot of time. So now he's going to be um, a big part of um, how I spend my spare time as well. Yeah, I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna say anything about that until you said something about that because you told me a couple weeks ago that you were still uh, in hospital with the with the little guy being born, and I wanted to make sure I let you be the one to reveal that just because I wasn't gonna you know put you on blast or anything. Um, yeah, but so no, again, so from yeah, from, from everybody here at the show, man, congratulations on the new kiddo, dude. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you very much. He's um, this Saturday coming up. He'll be four weeks old. So um, I won't say it's been smooth sailing, but I've got to say he's been a pretty good kid overall. He's healthy. He eats well. He sleeps most of the time, doesn't cry too much. Um, when he does have his tantrums, they are like dads, uh, pretty full on. <laughs> but uh, other than that, he's pretty, he pretty level-headed, enjoyable little kid to have around. That's very cool, Elvis. Um People, my fans and people who listen to the show, they know I always try to include at least one food question in any in every interview, and especially with someone who lives uh, outside of the United States. So 
for my for yeah. my listeners of Combat Sports with Rhino, of these three, what is the most quintessential Australian food? Are we talking Vegemite, Tiger Pie, or Kangaroo Meat? Which one is the is the quintessential Australian cuisine? Well, see, this is a tricky question for for me. I would go kangaroo because I'm a, I'm a carnivore meat eater. That's what I, I really um, enjoy. That's a big part of my nutrition strategy. But if you're talking Australia, it's got to be the Vegemite. This is what we're known for. Um, you can go anywhere around the world. If you pull out a jar of Vegemite, everyone knows it's um, from from Australia, a pike. And you know, there's pies all over the world. If you just pull out a pie, people go, okay, yes, no, it could be from anywhere. Same with um, – you know, kangaroo could quite easily be mistaken for venison or something like that. Sure. But that vegetable, you pull out that jar, everyone knows it's <laughs> um, Australian. Uh, I, I would have to say the only other thing that may trump your Vegemite is your Tim Tams, um, those chocolate wafer biscuits. Um, Tim Tams have built up a pretty big uh, following across the world as well. I, I know a lot of uh, fighters will actually go over to the U.S. They won't ask for anything else to be sent over but Tim Tams. So if you <laughs> haven't heard of Tim Tams um, and you are into that carboholic stuff, look them up, see if you can get your hands. Because I, I do think they may have started importing it to the U.S. I'm not 100% sure. If not, make friends with someone in Australia and get them to send you a packet over. I am tempted to say that Beck Rollins – has tweeted Tim Tams before. I want to say that's the yeah. first, my first introduction to hearing about them. Beck has, so, Jesse yeah, has, a few of those guys over there. <laughs> so yes, I have heard of them, but yeah, I think I, I think you're right with the uh, Vegemite being probably the most globally recognized Australian food. So that leads us into our next question. So uh, you kind of touched on it a little bit with talking about your gym. And first of all, before I get into this, real quick, because I don't know. You've been friends with Anthony Perosh for many, many years. Why does a guy who is has the physique of him, why is Hippo his nickname? I could never figure that out. Is just because hippos are dangerous and he's dangerous? Because he's always been a really in shape, you know, slender guy as far as fighting goes. Why was his nickname the Hippo? Oh, look, it actually it just goes back to the the days of um, when we were training together and. You know, Matt Trash, we used to talk trash. I mean, we were, we were best friends, obviously. Um, you know, we we're the same, very close to the same size. He was the, the bigger guy of the two of us. Um, he always carried around more weight off-season. Um, so he was naturally the bigger guy. Obviously, once he got in shape, he got in great fight shape. Um, yeah. But off-season, yeah, he was the bigger guy. And, uh, I mean, even now that he's retired, I, um, he's a lot bigger too. Um, he enjoys his food. That's kind of where it comes from. He loves to eat. Um, but when we were wrestling, he, he had a very heavy top game. So when we were um, um, rolling, I, as I mentioned, um, we had trash talk. I started calling him Hippobotamus. I used to call him <laughs> fat ass, Hippobotamus. Um, but again, it was just it was good nature trash between sure. two friends and training partners and he would you know, trash back to me different stuff, but the hippobotamus uh, kind of stuck for a little bit. It was, I have to say, it was quite ingenious on my behalf. Um, but then it kind of switched back to the just to hippo, and yeah, that that nickname's pretty much rolled with him ever since. 
I just remember Joe Rogan saying the hippo, and I'm looking at it, and like that dude is a slim, lean dude. I don't know where, where hippo could have come from, and now we know the backstory, which is amazing. Um, so yeah. Australia, Australia has provided some of the world's best kickboxers and Muay Thai fighters for a long time. You want to talk about John Wayne or even you know there, John Wayne Parr? There, there's been so many. Do you see the switch? Yeah, Nathan you, um, Corbett. Right. There's dozens. I mean, literally, if you go back 25 years, I mean, Australia has a who's who of Muay Thai and kickboxers. Dan Longinitis. No, absolutely. We have a massive Muay Thai and uh, kickboxing background. Obviously, you can't forget Mark Hunt, which we mentioned earlier. Yeah, for sure. It's just uh, the – but do you think – because I interviewed John a few weeks back, and uh, he kind of feels like the the shift has gone – more away from Muay Thai and more into MMA. Would you agree? Would you say that uh, in Australia that MMA has become even bigger at this point than Muay Thai, especially amongst the younger people? Uh, yeah, look, I, I would say it's one of those catch-22s. I think it is more popular, particularly as a spectator sport. Um, you know, it's definitely watched a lot more. It's on more mainstream stuff. You'll read about it in the paper. Um, but I still think that the Muay Thai and the kickboxing training is still very much up there as one of the top uh, sports that we train in. Um, I think the problem, the, the issue with MMA is, is very, it's a lot harder than people pretty much appreciate. We get a lot of people that come in and want to do MMA we get very few people that actually stay and commit to MMA because, it, it, as, as I said, when you know, back in the, the pioneers days, there's a lot to do. You've got to focus on so many different elements. You've got to focus on your individual grappling skills, your individual wrestling skills, your individual striking skills. Then you've got to integrate those skills with each other. Then you've got to integrate those skills into the environment, um, you know, whether it's a cage or ring, um, adding in ground and pound, um, and then you've got to add your conditioning. You've got to have explosive conditioning. You've got to have endurance to be able to go round. You need good recovery to get recovered from the, you know, big rounds because particularly at the end of rounds, everyone finishes strong, so you need a good recovery to start fresh in the next round. So MMA can be quite overwhelming for a lot of people. Um, They show that I think they really enjoy watching it. They really enjoy talking about it. So I think it is more popular across the mainstream community, but when it comes to the actual community that trains, I think definitely there are more people training in Muay Thai um, and even more so in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu than actually do MMA. I think it's just one of those interesting dichotomies. You're absolutely right. I feel like – so I don't even know if I prefaced this with you, but I've been a pro fighter, pro boxer – uh, since 2009, I was in the amateurs for three years before that. So I've had a long pro boxing career. And at heavyweight, you know, it takes its toll on you, the, the amount of shots you take. But uh, I'll, I, I, so appre- I so appreciate the, the ground aspect as well. So that's what I almost watch for. As much as I'm excited about the Muay Thai uh, aspects of MMA, I love watching the ground because it, it, it gives me a chance to learn so many new things. So I absolutely can see why someone who maybe had been a – Muay Thai practitioner for a long time could get into MMA, maybe not participate in it, um, but at least appreciate how much technique and how much work goes into becoming, you know, proficient at those skills. 
So absolutely, I can absolutely see why both would still be kind of revered uh, there in Australia. So Elvis, we have uh, we have rocketed our way to our tenth and final round with Rhino. Whoa! So, I know. So on. Uh, Gone quicker than I thought, but it's probably it been longer does. than I realized. <laughs> I have a bad habit of just continually talking. I can really waffle on for ages. I think that all of us who appreciate the Australian accent will have no problem staying and paying attention to it, my friend. Don't worry about that at all. So the 10th round with Rhino is always the wild card one, okay? Uh, this is the one that you really you just kind of put a creative cap on. So so here's – are you ready for this one? This is the 10th round, uh, Elvis. Are you ready for I'm, it? I'm, I'm never ready, but I'll do my best. <laughs> I'm always willing to take short notice uh, fights. I mean, short notice questions. <laughs> right, right. Okay, so um, – so your country has provided the world, especially of entertainment, with some of the most beautiful women that have ever walked the face of the earth. Margot Robbie, Naomi Watts, Teresa Palmer, Yvonne Zerhensky, all these beautiful women. Okay, so the studio heads in Australia have decided to make uh, you know, like a, a really kick-ass action movie. And you are the leading man. They're like, you know who we need? We need the king of rock and rumble to carry this picture. He's our leading man. Elvis is our man. So... They were like, hey, Elvis, you get to pick your leading lady, your co-star in this picture, but it's got to be an Australian, it's got to be an Aryan actress. Who are you going with as your leading lady in the action film that we are speaking of? Holy shit balls. Um, yep, ball. that's, 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 a, that's a good one. Oh, can I say that? Can I say that on, on this? <laughs> You can swear all you um, want, buddy. We're oh, a podcast. Sure. I, we have. <laughs> I have. I have her. I, I have her in my mind. I was just watching her on uh, TV the other night on uh, Wolf of Wall Street, and I'm having a mental blank on her name. Mar that's Mar it's Margot uh, Robbie, dude. Margot Robbie. That's it. That's it. Margot. <laughs> um, some of those scenes, I'm like, yep, I would get on my hands and knees so she would be my. Uh, uh, she'd be my number one pick. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. There's other people on the list who would have been acceptable answers, but that's absolutely the one that I would I would choose myself. So I got to be I got to be right there with you. I co-sign. She is just stunning and amazing. And the the MMA movie in my head where you're the leading man, she would be a great leading lady. Fantastic. So Elvis, man, we have we have cruised through the ten rounds with Rhino. You have been a more than amazing guest. I really appreciate you being on. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to check back in with you in a few months, and we'll see what's the uh, latest and greatest with you, if that's okay, sir. Sounds good. Uh, as I said, always enjoy chatting, uh, MMA, and uh, um, now I'm getting at the, that, the, the, uh, the long end of my age. I love reminiscing about the past, talking about I've got some fantastic stories um, from UFC, from Pancras, from Rings. Um, obviously, you know, I've met guys all over the planet. Um, I do have CTE, so the stories pop in and out of my head on a regular basis. So you got to get me at the right time to get the good stories. So, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I look forward to um, catching up, doing it again, maybe hitting a different set of questions. Maybe you can drag some more stories out of me. But I will finish with thank you very much. And it's uh, Good to be the king, and even though no one could see that, I stuck in my uh, finger point in there to, to finish it off. Fantastic. Have a good note, sir. You too.
This is Elvis Senesik, the king of rock and rumble, and I've just gone 10 rounds with Rhino. I say it every week, man. How fun is that, dude? Like, it's amazing to get to talk to some of these fighters and get some of these backstories and get some of these, uh, you know, firsthand experiences that you just couldn't otherwise understand or you wouldn't otherwise get. So, man, Elvis, thank you so much for coming on the show, dude. That was too cool, too fun. And again, we got to talk about a wide variety of things. And that's exactly what we're looking for when we have a 10 rounds with Rhino. Very, very cool, my friends. So, we are now, as I love to say every week, we are careening to the end of our show. I want to definitely have my shout-outs and my thank yous to everybody who wrote in and called in. So we got Ryan. We got we got our boy, uh, Jim Asood, my main man, Dave Fretz. Check him out at Dave Fretz at Dave Fretz or at Solo Shoes on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we got our write-in questions with Najee, Antonio, and my boy Phil from the Split Decision Podcast. Of course, Elvis for being on. Um of course, my boy D. Reigns, the engineer with the most, my broski, uh, Drea, for all of her great content today as well. Uh, next week, I'm not going to do a mystery guest. We're actually just going to tell you. Next week, my guest will be Combate America's 155 exciting contender, Eric the Ghost Pepper Gonzalez. And what a great interview we have for you next week. We'll have our fight picks for not one, but two. UFC cards next Sunday. And thank you guys so much for sticking with us and joining joining us today. We love you so much. We couldn't do the show without you. Stay home. Stay safe. Keep your social distancing. Sanitize your hands. Wash your hands. Oh, God. Just, we'll get through this together, man. Just keep the faith. So thank you guys so much. Rhino Gang Gang. See you next week. Kate. Uh...